everyone. Welcome to Not Another Whiskey podcast and an episode of 30 Minutes With, where Daz and I sit down with interesting people within the industry and chat to them for, yeah, you guessed it, 30 minutes. So this week we're joined well by done, talented, mate. interesting, and possibly one of the most well-liked figures within the whiskey industry. And I say possibly, uh, Mr. Andy Weir. Andy, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Thank you, Mitch. I mean, well, of all, of all the introductions I've ever had, that was that was definitely the most recent. Do you, do, you you. Want me, do you want me to be your hype man, right? I, I'm, I'm honestly thinking of putting you on the payroll. That was lovely, Mitch. I've got, <laughs> I've got a wee tear coming on my face here. <laughs> well, we're not, um, we try to be as organised as we can. And normally what we do is we drop uh, our episodes on a Sunday. Um, but as Burns Night is on a Tuesday, Mitch, I think we're going to make an exception because Andrew's so special. Is that fair? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, so this episode, guys, what we're going to do, we're going to sit down with Andy, who is the Burns expert, expert, I should say, um, not just a, a great whiskey guy, but we're going to chat some Burns, we're going to chat some uh, Burns night and and all that kind of good banter and uh, and, and get into it. But um, yeah, I mean, Andy, thanks for jumping on the show, man. For those that haven't met Mr. Andy Weir, uh, Andy, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to do a little bit of a, a bio for you. Again, I'm, I'm going for this, this job here as your hype man, all right? Um, but Andy, uh, Andy's got a really interesting background because he didn't actually start his career in whiskey. He started uh, as within the within the acting industry as a child actor. And Andy's amazing claim to fame is that he starred in the Hollywood blockbuster Braveheart with Mel Gibson. And I know Andy gets pissed off about telling this story over and over again. But if you do. If you haven't met him yet and, and, and you do meet Andy, ask him the story about how he got the gig because it's absolutely fascinating. Um, he basically hustled his way in there and then started schooling Mel Gibson on how to speak with a Scottish accent. Right, Andy? I pretty much, that's it. Yeah, nutshell, and, right? and, and, and Mitch, you're next. You're <laughs> my next victim in that regard. <laughs> I don't know about the Scottish accent, mate. Maybe just English would be good. <laughs> you, you're, you're definitely my, my hype man calling me a star. That is definitely a stretch of Braveheart. Um, don't, don't, don't blink or you'll miss me. Um, but I said this to somebody recently, you know, it, it, I, I think the, it's better to be a tiny part in a huge movie than a big part in a tiny movie, although I've, I've done that too. Um, and certainly I'm not talking about the big parts I played in tiny movies 26 years later, but people are still talking about the tiny part I played in the big movie. Um, so that was, that was a yeah, life-changing experience. Um, I imagine, mate. I went through a long period of my life because it's a very Scottish thing, right, where people uh, can't talk about themselves. You know, if you, if you talk about yourself, your background, the things you've done, particularly among your closest circle of friends, they'll do everything they can to knock you down. You know, they say a well-balanced, you can spot a well-balanced Scotsman because he has a chip on both shoulders. <laughs> and and that's that's kind of what I've grown up around, particularly in the west of Scotland. So, I, you know, I, you always hide your light under a bushel. And it's actually only recently, <clears throat> maybe the last five, six years, where I've kind of been a bit more, oh, yeah, sure, I, I did this thing. It was kind of interesting and fun. And I, I, I talk about it a lot more, but I used to always think that any time I talked about it, any time I brought it up, people would be like, oh, listen to this guy. Well, that's uh, this guy. What is he always talking about? I'm still in some bloody film. Listen to him. Just a wee fella for him, like the rest is. So I'm, I'm slowly but surely, I just became an American. <laughs> that's where you're supposed to play the sound effects for your Star Spangled So I became an American in September. I'm, I'm dual citizen. Um, and so I'm starting to adopt some of that. Uh, you know, Americans don't mind talking about themselves and talking about what they've done. And 
um, although not to the extent where I would be banned from Scotland. So yeah, I mean, it is interesting. It is. After ten years in the US, I can relate to that for sure. You have to, you have to be your own hype man over there. Um, But I mean, mate, it was really interesting the way after you left that, right? You went over to Australia. And you got a job with Visit Scotland, I think it was, and started working for them. Visit Britain, which was the tourist board uh, covering the UK. But my specialty, because I'd been an actor, I didn't really, I'd never really had a job. I'd had a couple of businesses in Scotland. So I was kind of an entrepreneur, an actor. And I went with my mates and they were all engineers. So there was a year's travel. And most people who have been backpacking know that you're gone for a year, but there's usually a, a bit in the middle where you have to kind of stock up on the funds. So we sat sat down in Australia for six months. And of course, they all just went out and got engineering jobs. And I'm like, oh, well, what am I going to do? I can't really go and get a job as the long lost cousin in Home and Away or something, you know? So so, uh, so I I had toured all over Scotland as an actor with theatre companies. So I'd been, I've kept myself really lucky. And it's part of the reason I love my country as much as I do is because I've seen most of it, if not all of it. Um, because I've been to every school pretty much in Scotland touring with theatre companies doing schools tours. I've been in every dinner hall in Scotland. That's There's my claim to fame. And uh, so I've been in, you know, the, the Outer Hebrides, Shetland, Orkney, many times. I was actually quite well positioned to, to work in the information team at the Tourist Board in Sydney. So every time, you know, kind of early stages of the internet, I'm really aging myself now, but every time somebody had a question, uh, about Scotland, they just put the call through to me or the email through to me, and I could explain, well, the ferry terminals just beside the train station, you know, this is... And so they really... I was kind of, I became invaluable because nobody knew anything about Scotland in that in that operation. And so the guy there said, we'd love to give you a job in New York. So I continued my travels. I went home and did another theatre tour. And uh, the next time I got this phone call, do you want to move to New York? And I thought, oh, that'll be all right for six months. Go and do that. 17 years later... Uh, still here. Came still here with really. three suitcases. Didn't know a single human being. Stayed in the YMCA for five nights, um, and here I am. So there's my yeah, immigrant you know the, story. You know the good thing is though, you've still you haven't got that American twang going on. You know, like certain people that we know that that live over there, Mister David Laird. Um, you know, it's <laughs> like that Scottish American twang. You, you're just still pure Scottish. And I always remember well, I think it when might, I was it hanging out about, with you. One of the things that you always said was, if someone doesn't understand me in America, I don't put on an American accent. I just get louder and more aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I don't take tomatoes in a sandwich. And I can stand in a deli for four days saying tomato, tomato. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. Because if the wind changes, it will stay like that, as my mom used to say. <laughs> I used to pull her face, my mom say, if the wind changes, your face will stay like that. And, and I was always terrified that I'd come home you know I've got these really really nasty mates who are like they don't give an inch and you all know them you've all got them I think all my friends are like that pretty much the boys I went to school with and I once said I once said something like sidewalk or elevator and 17 years later they still say it they still I I once said upstate how's upstate mate you still going upstate (laughs) <laughs> or I can't remember like I once accidentally said Grand Central instead of Central Station in Glasgow like the stuff that these boys still dredge up 17 years later and I think I probably have to credit them with the fact that I've been so terrified to be uh, maligned by them that I've just kept speaking the way I speak Mate, yeah. I, I know how you feel like I remember coming over here and visiting my friends and saying you know because in the US you have to say scotch right you can't say whiskey or everyone thinks you're talking about bourbon 
So you just start saying Scotch, which is one of the few things that I started to say in the US. But then I came back here and I'm saying it to my mates and they're like, oh, fucking Scotch, is it, Mitch? When you jump back on a plane, fuck off back to America. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was interesting, right? So for you, you're, you're in New York, you're, you're still working within the tourism industry, and then you come across William Grant and Sons, uh, and they Mel- love you, and well, that was Ian it Mel- that's how you got into and that's how our paths. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing this stuff. I'm doing this stuff for Visit Scotland, the Tartan Week in, in Grand Central Station, the one that I get slagged off from my mates for saying. And, and there's a big Glenfiddich activation in the Vanderbilt Hall in Grand Central, part of the Visit Scotland. They called it the Scottish Village. And Visit Scotland, even though I work for Visit Britain, hired me to go and kind of freelance for them to do a lot of burn stuff and various public speaking and you know, standing in Grand Central talking to people. And uh, Ian Miller, who was there, believe it or not, with Dennis McBain, Eric Stephen, Don Ramsey, uh, and a host of other uh, space-side celebrities. It sounds like an invasion. Uh, I know. And you <laughs> want to see these boys walking around New York City in 2005. They were like, it was like, it was like something out of Crocodile Dundee. And uh, anyway, so Ian, Ian comes up to me and said, you know, you should come work in a whiskey business. And I kept that conversation going with Ian for I think three years and uh, eventually that's how I that's how I got an in with William Grant three years later. Right, you know for me it was great because I came over to the US and you kind of took me under your wing for two weeks my first two weeks was spent with you running about California and you know I was trying to think like we've known each other for a while now and I was trying to think of some of the funny stories that we had together as ambassadors um, and there was a lot of them there were so many of them, but there's only so many of them and I think we can talk about on this podcast. I think one of the funniest ones was, Daz, I think I've told you this story before, but it's me, Andy and Struan, who's the global ambassador for uh, Glenfiddich. And we're all in Utah and we managed to get a day off. So we're like, right, brilliant. We hit the slopes. Andy's skiing and me and Struan are snowboarding. And we come up to this run, right? And it's got like um, very posh, you know, American style not like the, the ski slopes in Scotland where there's just a poma. This is like gates that you wait and they open up and then you go onto this travelator and then a massive, um, what do you call them, the, the chair, ski chair comes around. It was a big four-seater one, right? So we're all, the three of us are chatting away. And for some reason, Struan didn't realise that, that it was like a, a barrier thing that had shut and he just pushes his way on. Next thing he realises he's on this travelator and he's between the chairlift coming around and four American guys right in front of him. And it was the funniest thing. You just like, I don't know if you remember the shock in his face, Andy. He was just like, oh, shit. And basically, he just, as the chair came, he tried to duck under it, but it just swept him and just took out all four of these American skiers. <laughs> and, you know, the whole line, it was, it was a busy line of a queue of skiers, right? And all the Americans, you could hear their shock going, oh, shit. Not me and Andy. We're absolutely wetting ourselves laughing. And I actually remember Andy going, Mitch, get your fucking phone out. Get a picture. Get a picture. <laughs> I think they went down with bowling pins. It was a strike. Yeah, the whole, they all came down one at a time. It was brilliant. I was going to say to you, Mitch, before we start talking about all our great memories together, your, your expenses have been approved, right? <laughs> those, those have gone through. Uh, no, we, we had a brilliant time. I mean, I, you and Nick Palaki joined about the same time. And my, my uh, charge was to go out to California because I had just moved back to New York from California and take you under my wing for a little while. And, you know, you and I had had a blast and, and as did Nick and I, but my favourite memory was Nick. You know, I'd been in the country, what was that, 2010? 
Yeah, so I'd been in the country five at that point, and uh, I meet Nick at the airport, and we go out, and he had just that day arrived from Scotland. And we go we go for dinner, just back to what you were just saying. We go out for dinner, and uh, or lunch, whatever, and I order my food, and, and Nick goes, hey, can I get the tuna melt? <laughs> and I'm like, he's been in this country six hours, and he's saying tuna melt. I've been there five years, and I refuse to say tomato. <laughs> so there's the, there's the difference. That is funny. Do you know, Andy, it's funny. I don't know if you remember this, and this is a this is a funny twist of fate in how time works out, but I think, I don't know what year it was, um, maybe 2011 or 12. I remember this. I know what you're going to yeah. say. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Because, Mitch, a role had come up for Belvenia in New York, and uh, you were the hiring manager at the time. And uh, we'd gone through a process, a couple of phone calls, I think, and uh, I, I had to come back to you with a presentation on how would I sell Scotland to a bunch of Mexican tourists or something like that? I think maybe Americans, but you, you might have been doing your own spin on it. You know, I might have added my own little spin. I might have done. And uh, it was quite funny because I was going through a similar process with Highland Park, kind of in parallel. And the way it worked out was I had to cancel my interview with you because I'd been burgled the night before and my presentation was actually on my laptop that got nicked out of the house. <laughs> and I, I think I explained it to you and I was like, I just don't think this guy's going to buy this. It's genuinely what happened. <laughs> well, you know, you know who owes you a drink is Lauren Cousin because he got that job. Did he get that job? Oh, it was in LA right. actually. It was a California-based job, but that Lauren what it was. got that job. So here, here I am thinking it was in New York, thinking I'm doing a presentation on Mexicans, and my laptop gets nicked. That tells you a story there. <laughs> <laughs> it's brilliant. Well, so I mean, moving on from your 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 career, Andy, you moved out of the ambassador role, you moved into brand management with Balveni, and then over to Abelar. But now you're doing your own thing, and we, one of the reasons that we're, we're we're on this episode is to talk about Burns, and let's talk about what you're doing for Burns because you're putting this this big program together called Burns Distilled, which looks really cool, very contemporary. There's a lot of cool whiskey guys in there, a lot of drams. Can can you tell everyone about that? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I've been kind of running whiskey brands in the States now for a dozen years. And and uh, I, I kind of time came where I, I, there was a, a, an opportunity to, to, to move on and it, and it was great. And I'm, I'm really happy. I'm looking to jump the opportunity in the spring. So in my little hiatus, I'm supposed to be relaxing, but I'm doing the exact opposite. I'm actually working harder than, than I was before. Um, before, so let me just rewind. Before I uh, worked over here, and one of my businesses that I talked about was a company called Third Degree Burns, and we used to with a, an, an actor called John Murta, who was one of my uh, mentors. You, John was also in Braveheart. He's the guy who they always talk that he landed on the table, and you could see his Mark Spencer's wine fronts. That's John. He played one of the, one of the lords that betrayed them. Lachlan, we must try to negotiate. That was Murta. So Murta was actually the director at my youth theatre when I was a kid. And he's the reason that uh, the casting directors came to my youth theatre and eventually led to James, my cousin, and I getting the jobs. So um, John <clears throat> and I started this business. We were both big Burns speakers. I've been speaking at Burns Supper since I was about five or six years old. I grew up in Ayr, home of Burns. It's been part of me. I was a Scottish champion reciting Burns in 97. <clears throat> and so we went everywhere. We went to royal palaces, I mean, we ran the gamut. We flew all over the world. And one day we'd be in like the Queen's House in, in Northern Ireland, Hillsborough. And the next day we'd be in some like working man's club in you know, the East End of Glasgow, uh, you know, where you really are taking your life in your own hands when you, with some of the things you can say up there. So we, and, and this, this script, this essentially what it is, is a, an examination of Burns in a contemporary way, in a very kind of fluid way where you can bring in 
different bits of variety into the performance. It started in a drug and alcohol rehabilitation program in Craig Miller in Edinburgh, where you know there'd be a bit of burns and then somebody would come out and sing the needle and the damage done. And then there'd be a bit of something, someone would take a Burns poem and relate it to their life. And suddenly, what for many people, Burns is 18th century poetry, which just seems worthy and academic and to many people really boring and stuffy. Suddenly people start to relate to it. And I don't know if you've ever seen somebody like Dick Gochen perform Burns, you should YouTube it. And if you watch somebody like Maya Angelou talk about Burns, that's when you start to realize that this is why people get excited about Robert Burns, because we have, as a country, a poet who is transcendent of our country and our borders. And he, he, he speaks to people in a way that most Scottish people don't even realize. I mean, for instance, in Russia, Burns is a massive part of their curriculum um, and has been forever, ever since Burns. So I think, um, you know, if Scottish people kind of re-examine Burns in a different way, <clears throat> they'd be like, oh, you know, here we go, more haggis and shortbread. And it's actually, if you perform it rather than just speak it or read it, it really brings it to life for people. So Third Degree Burns was about that. It was an interrogation into Burns. And we worked with some amazing people. We had Mick McNeil from Simple Minds was on our roster, uh, Eddie Reader, <clears throat> um, you know, we, actors that we've all, we've all worked with who bring in Johnny Beatty. So John Murta was my business partner. And one time the Crankies fell off the, the beanstalk at the Pavilion Theatre in Glasgow. And John got drafted in to replace uh, the Crankies. John, and John was in River City at the time. And John and Shellsuit Bob came in to replace the Crankies. And it was in January. So I had to suddenly draft in Johnny Beatty to replace John Murta. So there's me and Johnny doing the Burns Supper Circuit together. So we just, you know, we had some, we had some amazing times. So, I, and since then, I've done this kind of one-man Burns show since I came to the States. And I've always done it with a Broadway band. I've got a bunch of friends that are on Broadway. So they play the music and I say the poems and find ways to make it relevant to people. Like we'll, we'll suddenly start playing Jeopardy in the middle of it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll bring people up and have them say a wee poem and stuff. And then, um, so I did that for, for Balvenie a lot. I did it for Aberlour a lot. I did it for the Tourist Board. And now that I'm kind of a free agent, I've very quickly, along with my partners, Kristen and, and the guys at Ayatana, have pulled together this, this concept called Burns Distilled. And it was created pre-COVID. Oh, sorry. It, it, the concept, you know, in my head was created pre-COVID. Um, but it's, it's pretty perfect for the COVID era. But I also believe that it might outlive COVID. <clears throat> because at the end of the day, if you throw an event, in a country the size of New York, it's very localised. You're only going to get people who live within the driving or commutable distance of that place. What Burns Distilled is doing is it's bringing people actually from all over the world. We've sold tickets in Australia. we sold tickets all over Europe, obviously all over North America. Um, and so I'll, I'll give you a quick... So it's burnsdistilled.com. It's a live stream on Burns Night, 25th of January. It starts at 7 o'clock Eastern time. And um, it's basically a way to weave together these two great passions of mine, Burns and whiskey. So it's part whiskey tasting, part Burns supper. But it's not a Burns supper in the traditional sense where you have the same kind of run of show that you have at a Burns supper. So um, just some examples of things that, that we do have. Um, a couple of mates of mine are around the show, Outlander, uh, Stevie Cree, Rick Rankin. They're going to do a little, a little two-hander with a bit of Burns. I can't say what that is yet, just in case they change their minds. <clears throat> um, we have an up-and-coming vocalist called Lily Kearns, who does the most incredible rendition of Vaphon Kiss in her own way. Um, we have uh, a hip-hop kind of Hamilton-esque rendition of some of Burns' poems. 
Um, Tracy Franklin is my co-host, well known to you, Mitch. And Tracy, of course, is, is a fellow kind of past performer, now whiskey distiller, actually, but previously a brand ambassador. So I think the one thing I would say is it's, it's unexpected in many ways. And the tickets are like this. You either buy the stream, which comes with access to the live show, participation in the event, so people will communicate with us, send us their photos, we'll put them in the show. Uh, they also get an in-home enjoyment kit, which comes with a little downloadable book of burns and some other things. And that's $24.50. Uh, or the full experience, which actually by the time this goes out may have already sold out because we have to ship them out. But the full experience is a burnt supper in a box, which comes with four whiskies. In this case, our four whiskies are Laphroaig, Quarter Cask, Beaumore 12 year old, uh, Dura 18, and Aaron, the Robert Burns single malt. So it's a really nice balanced roster, very West Coast centric. Um, and then, uh, so, so throughout the night, we, we, jump live to one of those ambassadors and they'll tell us about that whiskey. Um, and so it's, it's great. It's, it's really dynamic. Uh, people, I'm guaranteeing people a very enjoyable night, especially during Omicron and during COVID. They'll really feel like they're having a burn celebration. And uh, it's about an hour and a half long. It sounds great. I wish it wasn't so late. I mean, it's going to be, what did you say, 7 o'clock Eastern time. So I'll be in my yeah, bed. So that'll be 12 o'clock over here. You've changed. You've changed if you're in bed by midnight. Got, oh, look, I'm in stuff now. You know? I'm to FOMO Mitch. <laughs> oh, he's still there. He just goes to bed and then worries about missing out. Um, yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, you know, it makes sense for, for you to, to be involved in Burns with your, your, you know, your past being an actor. Burns coming from your neck of the woods as well. And obviously Burns having a tie-in with whiskey as well, right? Being a, an excise officer back in the day. Well, yeah, he was on the wrong, he was on the wrong side of the blanket, as old Dennis McBain would say. But um, yeah, he, he, he was a real conflicted character. You know, he was an anti-establishment guy, but at the end of his life, uh, he worked for the government. And, and I think that really haunted him. I don't think he particularly enjoyed being a gauger or a, an exciseman, but he wasn't a wealthy man and he needed a job and he had all these kids and he, you know, he had to, he had to provide for them. So yeah, he was an exciseman. <clears throat> and ironically enough, he wrote in, you know, in opposition to the excise, uh, you know, in, in um, the author's Ernest Crime Prayer and, and Scotch Drinks. So, he, you know, he was, he was a really complicated character. Yeah, I think uh, I, I love what you're talking about, though, in terms of how you make it, how do you make it fun? How do you make it more engaging? And um, every year I've done a burn supper uh, down at the Ham Yard in London. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's, it's like a diet burns, really. You know, everything's a bit short and sharp. Um, it's drinks, it's food, and everything gets about the same kind of airtime. It's not a four-hour-long extravaganza. You know, it's kind of a lot a lot tighter than that in terms of time. But one of the things I learned, actually, uh, over the last couple of years is if you just chuck a couple of bits of literature at people and just get them up on their feet and just get them to have a blast, it removes all of this perception that it needs to be academic you need to say it properly you need to understand what every word means because actually if you just get it in your hand and have a blast and have a laugh that's what it's all about you know and and, and you can be you can understand it you, you 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 can speak old scots and you can blast that stuff out brilliantly or you can just give it a bash and, and i think that's where it's probably gone I, I feel like in the last five years it's really become much more of an entertaining, much more of a kind of fun thing rather than such a serious sort of... But, that, but that, that's a brilliant point. But wouldn't, don't you see this, the, the parallels with whiskey? Oh, I think totally. there's a, an absolute Absolutely. perfect parallel there, right? So when I was younger, in my 20s, nobody in their 20s drunk whiskey in Scotland. It was very uncommon. And now you go back to the pot still in Glasgow and it's all young, young bucks in their 20s drinking, drinking whiskey. 
And that's because <clears throat> we have a we have a real problem in Scotland where people are so that's a terrible generalism, but but you know, I've just talked about all my mates back home. Like it's who we are and, and we love ourselves for it, but we we love to we love to knock people down. We love to and we also love to to make people feel like uh like whiskey, for example. How many people in Scotland love to tell, well, you shouldn't be putting water in your whiskey, you shouldn't be putting ice in your whiskey, and there's a wee bit of that out here as well. Why not, is my question to that. Every time somebody states another rule or laughs at somebody for pronouncing Brook Laddie wrong, or does it, all that does is it sends somebody else to the bar to get a Tito's and tonic. Like, what I think is, a lot of that has gone away. We've, we've matured a bit as a culture, and I think now... It's okay for people to drink whiskey their way. It's okay for people if they say it wrong. And that that's an American thing. You know, it, it actually is, it's a good thing that you tried. And if I get people on the stage and they say all the words wrong and they butcher, it doesn't matter. The fact that they tried and the fact that they're even there, I always say to people, if you're willing to, to, to give whiskey a try, that's all, that's all that matters to me. Because you didn't listen to the, all the stuff that puts up the barriers around whiskey. And that's precisely for me what burns what's happened with burns so younger people are actually starting to embrace it because less of the old guard who tried to build their own club that you can't get into have gone away you know and, yeah. and we're, we are now the arbiters of this no but i love that it's true you know it's the thing you know the only thing you should put in a whiskey son is another whiskey you know all that kind of <clears> chat and it's actually like the burns thing and, and you're switching the format up and no, no, that's not next. Next is the address to the lassies. You can't do the, you can't do the to a moose then, you know, and it's like, actually, who cares? Just do it whatever way you want, whatever way is comfortable. And actually the most important thing is, is that you have a great time. A few whiskeys going down as well will always help, you know? Yeah, well, you know, and, and on that, I get asked to speak at a lot of burn suppers and have done for a long time. And I have a personal policy uh, that I do not ever speak at a burn supper that's just men. And, you know, I get people writing me letters back from Burn Society where we're saying, well, you know, this is where it's always been. And, you know, we, we, this, is, this is our tradition. It's our heritage. Oh, great. Well, let me just ask you, who's going to be at your Burn Supper in 20 years' time? Well, you know, Burns was a member of the Baxter's Club in Turbolton. I know he was in 1770-something, 1760-something. Yes, he was in the 18th fucking century. Yeah. You cannot take a guy who, by the way, was a progressive who said very unpopular things, stood up against the establishment, stood up against the church, did a lot of things that people didn't agree with. You can't look me in the eye and tell me you think he was a traditionalist. So in 2022, Burns would be the first person to tell you to stick your old male Burns supper up your arse. And I will defend that uh, till the day I die. And even when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would say this to people and they, they would be aghast. Why? But this is the biggest burn supper. One guy says to me, you know, there's 1500 people come to this. It's the biggest burn supper in North America. I said, good luck to you. And it's all men. Sounds, yeah. sounds absolutely horrendous to me. All, all men in kilts, mate. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but men in kilts, drunk out their faces. That sounds horrendous. Good luck to you. Have a good night. But I, so, I, I just think it's ridiculous. Let's talk about your, your kind of favourite passages within Burns. Obviously, the address, the haggis, is a big one that you do for Burns Night. But out with that, mate, is there, is there anything that you would kind of lead people to, to check out? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there, are, there are words that are still so resonant today. And, you know, <clears throat> I love a man's a man. And mm. I, I, I just read something on somebody's website recently, that, that actually my, my wife spotted, it made me chuckle. It said, uh, our, our enduring mission is about equality. Just like Burns said, a man's a man for all that. 
the irony of those two things going side by side. But I think with a little bit more context, a man's a man really means a human is a human. And again, it was written in the 18th century. We have to remember that, that you know, even I would say even things that were written five years ago now we look at under a different microscope. Ten years ago, you watch comedy from the 90s and the early 2000s. You'd never say those things now. So we are evolving at a rapid pace in a good way and in ways that we need to. We're, we're, having, we're on a big learning journey as a, as a, as a, as a species. Um, so when we look at Burns, we have to look at it under that context. But when he wrote A Man's a Man, I mean, if you take that, again, as, as a human, you think he said, it's there for honest poverty that hangs his here and all that. The coward slave, we pass him by, we dare be poor for all that, for all that and all that. Our toil's obscure and all that. The rank is but a guinea stamp. The man's the gowd for all that. And, and, you know, what he's saying there is it doesn't matter how much money you've got. It doesn't matter who you are, what your status is. You know, it's a bit like Martin Luther King, you know. They shouldn't be judged by the colour of their skin, but the content of their character. Mm. Um, it, and, you know, I think that's what Maya Angelou saw in Burns. Uh, and she loved a man's a man for a while. It was one of her favourites. You know, Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln carried the Book of Burns in his pocket everywhere he went. Really? Uh, Bob Dylan said that my love is like a red, red rose was one of his greatest creative influences. Michael Jackson uh, used Tam Shanter as his influence for Thriller. So you think of all these, like, things that Burns did culturally. There are more statues to Burns around the world than any other non-religious figure outside of Queen Victoria and Christopher Columbus. This is a guy who was born in a clay biggin in Alloway in Scotland. We should be bloody proud that this guy's ours. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there is an ambivalence to Burns in Scotland. I think we, we put him in the same category as a lot of people for many years have put whiskey. You know, they, don't, they don't quite realise that we should be shouting from the rooftops that we make this incredible drink that's drunk in the four corners of the globe, that we, this guy, Burns, is ours. And people are still reading his poetry and, and, it, and it really means something to them. I, I just, I, it make, you know, this time of year, it, it comes around and everybody's talking about Burns and, it, you know, I, I get really excited about it because I worry that, that this generation will be put off by all the old stuffy shit and won't want to, as I did as a young kid, enter Burns competitions every year. And, and, and as a young kind of non-studious kid, it was the only time I was good at anything. You know, I wasn't winning prizes for academia or, or sport or, or music or anything. This is what I, I won it every year. And, and so that was my thing that gave me the confidence to go on in my life. That's brilliant, mate. It's great, it's great to hear your, your passion about it. And, you know, I, I love the, those facts you just dropped in about Burns because, you know, on the show, we always do interesting facts that won't get you any friends. So you've just ticked that off for us on this yeah, episode. I thought it was, don't get laid. I'm, I'm a regular listener to the show. I thought it was laid. Um, the the HR department had to uh, change. Ah, okay. the, uh, yes, HR uh, department stepped in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm happy with that. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Which, which were the wives? <laughs> <laughs> was that? I think it was me actually. <laughs> I think it was. But, yeah. um, no, mate. I mean, you know, Andy, I've blown up. I've blown enough smoke up your ass, but I'm going to do it one more time because I, I do remember you. Well, seeing you do the address the haggis for the first time, which was in the US. And honestly, man, it was, it's still the best address the haggis I've ever seen. I, I remember getting chills when I watched you do it. Uh, it was unbelievable. So, you know, to give everyone a little bit of a taste of that, do like your, your, your favorite part of the address the haggis. Just do a little 
you know, micro version of it for um, um Well, the last verse is kind of nice. Um, uh, he pours what mankind your care and dish them up their bill of fare. Old Scotland wants nice skinking wear that jokes and luggies. But if you wish, her grateful prayer, gear, a haggis. You know what's funny though? It's yes. funny, it's, 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 it always sounds better with a West Coast accent. I, I grew up in Fife, Andy, and when I, I, when I do burns, I just sound a wee bit constipated, you know? <laughs> you know something? There's something about uh, Fifers that are, that are connected to Ayrshire folk. I've always had a, had a bond with, with Fifers. You know, Burns's dad was actually from the Northeast, kind of uh, uh, Merns, the, the Merns they call it, kind of... Oh, Port Portlethenway. Port is it like Lawrence Kirk? How are they mayor? Around that, that way, Port Lethen, south of Aberdeen. Yeah. Um, but I think that Pfeiffer's mining stock, you know, I, I'm from mining stock in Ayrshire. My, my uh, grandfather on my dad's side was, was a miner. And, uh, and, 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 you know, the whole family were miners in, in, you know, eastern the valleys of Ayrshire. And there's something, every Pfeiffer I've ever met from, you know, real, you know, places like Carden Den and... Um, What's the what's that other what's the place that um that Jim Leishman's from? Yeah, uh, Dunfermline. Uh, but you'll be from Kelty. Kelty. He's Kelty. He's a Kelty boy. He's Kelty. Yeah, I've done burn suppers with Jim Leishman. He is a fabulous after dinner speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his his little kind of lilt, his Fife, it's perfect for Burns. Yeah. And and there is something about uh, Fife, Lanarkshire, Ayrshire. You know, we're all connected to this kind of you know real hardcore mining stock. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I doubt. I doubt very much that burn supper was in the Kelty Club. It was the West Sound burn supper, which we used to be at the Thistle Hotel in Glasgow. And that that sounds like, a, sounds a little bit nicer than the Kelty Club. I know it was. It was a big deal actually. I I remember abs being absolutely terrified to do it because the it was like fifteen hundred people in this ballroom in in Glasgow at the time. It was the biggest burn supper in the world. But Leishman just blew the roof off the place, and yeah. I still I still steal gags that he did that night. I remember he. That, that thing I always say, Mitch, about, you know, people say the Scots are cheap, Scots are tight. Um, I don't agree with that at all. You know, I grew up in a very working class family. We had really had nothing, but my parents were extremely generous to the point that every Christmas day, my mum and dad would put, take us, put our jackets on, take us on a trip to the top of the hill in town and show us where Santa Claus was buried. And that, if it's not on, if that's not generosity, I don't know what is. <laughs> and that is a Jim Leishman joke dating back to really? 2000 and one maybe 2000 uh, um and i still nick it to this day so thank you very much mr jim Leishman. brilliant uh, well listen andy we're going to wrap this up man because it's 30 minutes with we've had the 30 minutes but we need to get you back on the show again at some point um definitely because that. we could we could do this for uh for quite a while i think but great to see you man great to chat beautiful man well andy thanks again for being on the podcast mate great to see you buddy Slanch. cheers guys Daz, mitch pleasure cheers mate. Tell us.